We breathe 20 times a minute. Scientists believe that we should be accessing up to 90% of our energy, 80 to 90% of our energy through breathing. Yet the faster we breathe, the less energy we achieve through that breath. What AJ was beating out there was six breaths a minute. How many of you felt like you're about to pass out? I've done a lot of um, vocal training in my life, uh, singing, choir, also a lot of theater uh, in my background. And one of the things that you always hit on in those things, in those trades, if you will, is your breathing, where you breathe from. How you breathe is very, very important. Most of you, I'm sure, breathe up here in your chest. But what you should be doing is breathing down here in your gut. Slowly. All of the great meditative traditions, all of the ones that you see throughout the ages have a period of meditation, of prayer, of centering prayer. If you look at the, the, uh, the, the guys that would go into the, the caves and the, the word escapes me at the moment, the hermits that would go out and really center themselves with God, breathing was an essential part of this. Essentially, it was a slowing down. See, if we breathe between six and eight times a minute, we jump up our availability of energy into that 80 to 90 percentile range. When you slow down, you have more. Some doctors have done some studies with fifth graders in Africa, and they go and they measure these kids breathing, and their breaths are roughly between five and eight times a minute. And then they come back here to the States and measure our kids and see that their breathing rate is from 15 to 22. We are wired. We are tightened up inside, and it spills out to the rest of our lives. We need to slow down. When I read the scripture, a lot of times I fly through it. And I read stuff that I've read before or I've heard many, many, many times before. And I don't stop and listen to the words that I read. We're in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your text with you, open up to Philippians 4. That's where we were last time when we did this teaching Sunday. And and we focused really on on verses 1, 2, and 3 last time. And so I want to jump to the next one, 4 through 7. And In this first verse right here, I know that you have heard. If you have ever been to a church before, you have probably heard this. If you have ever done some sort of study or devotion, this verse has come up. And how often do we fly through these words? Paul, writing from prison to the people of Philippi, begins at this new section at verse 4 saying this. Because really, if you remember, he's talking to Euodia and Sidtake right before this. He's saying, knock it off. 
Everybody get together, put on that. Remember that word phronesis that we talked about last time? Phronesis, that Greek word that means the mindset of Christ, the pattern of Christ. You are to live your life in the way that Christ lived his. And he gets to verse 4 and he says these words. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again. Rejoice. It's so interesting that he says that. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, the word rejoice can conjure up many different things in your mind. And you may read through this thinking, he's just telling me to be happy. If you live your life in Christ, be happy. Let people know that it's fun to be a believer. Wee! But think about where he's writing from. The guy's on death row. Remember, we talked about how this letter came about. Paul is in prison in Rome. And he is on death row. He will go eventually before a trial that will decide whether or not he lives. And it's because he claims Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And so from death row, he writes these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. The Greek term that he uses here is charo. C-H-A-I-R-O. Charo. It comes from the root charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis, you may recognize as being part of the word Eucharist. Eucharist, good gift. Rejoice, be aware of the gifts of God. You see, if you fly by this verse and you don't slow down to look at what Paul is saying and how he is saying it, you miss what he's telling you. He's not telling you to put on some false little joy and walk around going, we, I love Jesus. Isn't it so wonderful? He's saying to wake up and be aware of the gifts of God all around you. See, joy is learning that God is doing something even in the midst of this. See, Paul was quite aware in the midst of death row on his way Maybe it happened a little bit later after he wrote this to his eventual death. He's aware that God's at work, and so he's finding joy in that. This kind of joy, this being aware of the gifts of God, what Paul is saying is your day may be going really bad, but there's still good things in it. Wake up to that. Wake up to the fact that you can actually breathe. How often do you think about your breathing and the fact that you have the ability to do so? He's saying, be aware of the presence of gift, of the gift of God, the gifts of God in your life. Joy is learning to see God, to discern discern God's movement in the midst of our lives. It's also learning to perceive things differently than the world perceives them. You see, Paul was an evangelist, and he, he was a guy who spent his life since his conversion telling people about Christ. That was his passion. That was his whole vision 
for his world was to go throughout the world and tell people about the love of Jesus Christ, about the gifts of God, about this Eucharist. And so being thrown in prison kind of hinders that, doesn't it? I mean, you would think from the world's perspective that, well, your time is over. We've got to pass the baton to somebody else because you're stuck in a prison now. But think about what Paul did when he was in prison. If you remember the, uh, the story in Acts when he was thrown into prison in Philippi, actually, he's thrown into prison with this other guy. An earthquake happens. The jails open. The jailer who is in charge is so scared and worried that all of his prisoners have left that he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, whoa, wait a minute. We're still here. And let me tell you why. And he shares the gospel with that guard. So instead of being down on himself, that, oh, poor me, I'm in prison. I can't do what God wants me to do now. What does he do? He does it in prison. He preaches to the guards, to anyone who would listen. He writes letters to people that thousands of years later, we still read. Joy is looking at things in a counter way that the world would let you believe you should see them. That was a jumbled sentence, wasn't it? Joy is looking at stuff in a different way than the world wants you to look at it. Joy is a, is a formation of yourself, really. I, I truly do believe it is a spiritual discipline to be aware of the gifts of God. To be aware in the midst of your life that God is working. To see things in a different light than the world wants you to see them. It is a discipline and it will shape you. It's a formation of who you are as a person. If you truly think about it, if you know somebody that's had the life, you know, they, they grew up, they had great parents who were both together and they had the, you know, the... The Leave It to Beaver childhood or the Cosby childhood, depending on your generation. Uh, they, they had these wonderful things. They met the perfect person to get married to. They went to college, never had a bad grade in their life. They got out of college, got the greatest job. They found the perfect spouse. Have these beautiful kids that are all better looking than everyone else's kids. They're all smarter than everybody else's kids. They've never had a day in their life where they've had to cross a hurdle. They don't know joy. They don't know true joy. They never sit down at a table and experience a meal the same way that a cancer survivor does. They never look at their child with the thankfulness of heart and the joy that springs forward from them as somebody who has lost a child. You see, I, I think in order to truly be joyful, to learn this discipline, there has to be suffering. That kind of stinks, doesn't it? I always hate the, the truth that you grow closest to God during difficult times. That always makes me really sad because I want to grow closer to God, but I don't really want to suffer. <laughs> I know you're like that. We're all wimps. But it is a formation of self. And Paul says, rejoice. You live in a world that persecutes you. Rejoice. 
you live in a world that proclaims Caesar is Lord. And if you go against that, you can be crucified. Rejoice. See God in the midst of it. Look beyond what the world tells you how to see your situation and see deeper into it where God is moving with his gospel message, with the Eucharist, this good gift that has come from Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And then he goes on. And the next thing he says at verse 5 is this. Let your gentleness be evident to all The Lord is near. So he tells you, he starts out saying, okay, take on this new practice, this new discipline of seeing the world through the eyes of Christ and seeing the world through the eyes of God and being aware of the gifts of God. Rejoice, rejoice, live in this moment of gift, awareness of gift. And then he says, and let your gentleness be evident. Let your gentleness. The Greek word for gentleness here is epicus. And Epicus is spelled, for those of you taking notes that want to write the Greek down, E-P-I-E-K-I-S, Epicus. I think there might be another I right here, but that's a controversy we're not really sure about that was discussed at 930. Epicus. And this gentleness seems to be something, you know, I I mean, because let's honestly think about it, especially for guys. You want to be the cool guy, you want to be the cool dad, the cool husband, all that stuff. And somebody says, you know how to be really cool? Be gentle. You know, you don't look at those manly men. You know how you know how I know John Wayne was the coolest guy ever, because he was gentle. Because he hugged his horses and you know, he picked flowers in the westerns. You don't think of it that way, do you? I mean, the term gentle kind of takes on this connotation of being, you know, pushed around or, or quiet and meek and those things, and it's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's using this word gentleness, and what it means is kind of an act of kindness where retaliation is expected. Forbearance is one scholar puts it, forbearance, like controlling, being able to control oneself. It's a non-aggressive strength, Rob Bell calls it, a non-aggressive strength. I love that. Because you see gentleness sometimes in a world that's so overpowering and so demanding of your talents and to be there and to get what you need and to be number one. You see gentleness is a weakness, but it's a strength to truly be this gentle, this epicus. To be one who is not so stringent upon the letter of the law when they believe that some moral good could be done otherwise. To be someone who looks to put others before themselves. Being gentle. Now here's a guy that's preaching in the world that says Caesar is Lord. And the Roman Empire lived under this Pax Romana. The peace of Rome which was brought about by victories. Caesar spread his influence in the peace of Rome through conquering other lands. And he would go into an area, his armies would go into an area, and they would say, you must proclaim Caesar his Lord, or we'll crucify you. There's your choices. Lord, crucify. Which one are you going to do? Because quite honestly, in order to achieve a peace like that, dead people are quiet, aren't they? 
So your opposition, get rid of them, kill them, they're quiet, you have no more issues. It's peace that reigns. And they would set up these military rules and these guards that would be throughout the Roman colonies to ensure that that peace was upheld. If you remember when Jesus is crucified, they take him in and they take him to the Roman authorities to crucify him. Why? Because they didn't have the authority to do it themselves. But they bring him there and they're like, hey man, he's doing stuff counter to what Caesar says. You should crucify him. He's saying he's the Lord. We know that Caesar is Lord. You know, they're kind of going, oh, just kidding. But we, this is why you should crucify him. And Pilate is pushed into this corner and he's like, man, I got to keep the peace. Let's crucify him. And Paul is saying in the midst of all of this, I, Paul, who have been preaching around and I've been thrown in jail and on trial for my life, am telling you that you are going to experience the same stuff that I have. You who is this growing church in this Roman colony, you're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience these Roman guards coming into your home and destroying your home. You're going to experience the things that I have experienced. But don't react the way the world wants you to. You know, your, your gut reaction a lot of times is to react. But what he's saying is, let this gentleness be evident to all. Live your life in a way that sets you apart from the world. It's pretty good advice for us today, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you been in a situation in an encounter with somebody and you have said something that later on, when the heat of the moment has died down, you have regretted I have a very quick and biting Irish tongue. It is a blessing and it is a curse. My gut reaction a lot of time when I'm in interactions with people is to go for the quick zinger. I can pick out the thing that they're insecure about a lot of times and hit on that. They try to come back at me, but I know my insecurities and I'm okay with them. And so I go right back at them. I would say 99.9% of the time, once I have done that and walked away, I regret it. When I was a teacher, I taught fifth grade, and there was not a week that went by that I didn't make a kid cry. Yeah. Don't you wish your kids had me? (laughs) We did well on the tax test, though. I had this one mother call me one time. And tell me that her son was coming home crying because of a nickname I had given him. Yeah. Let me tell you how small I felt at that moment. How horrible I felt for that little boy. As I have grown in my walk with Christ and in my spiritual maturity, I have tried to let this gentleness, this epicus that Paul talks about, become more evident in my life. Because I want to stand out for other reasons than the sarcastic ones. I want to stand out so that people can see God and Christ in me. That They don't see me. And that's what Paul's saying. You're going to be confronted with all these situations. And your normal worldly reaction is going to be to go one way. But don't. Just stop. And let the gentleness of the Spirit be evident in you. In other words, stop breathing so fast. 
Slow down. Slow down. Slow down and be aware of the gifts of God in this world. Slow down and allow Christ to move through you. When we're rushing and rushing and rushing, we tend not to allow that to happen. So he's saying, slow down. He says, let the gentleness of Christ be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. This this is really going to make makers of Paxil and Prozac angry. Do not be anxious about everything. The Greek, thank you, I saw somebody laughing out there. I thought it was funny. Merimnao. Everybody want to say that? Merimnao. Very nice. That is the word anxious that he uses there. And the, the root word is meris. The verb of that is meriso. Meris means parts. Meriso, the, the verb is to divide. Think about this. He's saying don't allow your life to be divided into parts. I'm calling you out to live this new phronesis, this new attitude of Christ, to put on this mindset of Jesus Christ. And the way you do that is to be aware of God's presence in the world, how God moves through the world in unexpected and beautiful ways. The gifts of God, that caro. I want you to live your life in a way that is contrary to the world, to have this gentle spirit about you so that people look at you and notice something different about you. But Paul's not stupid. Paul understands that when you walk down those paths, that something else is going to occur. That your worldly self and the self that desires to be more like Christ are going to collide. And you're going to be anxious. And you're going to have those moments when you're lying in bed and you can't shut down. Does anybody become a math genius at night? Those of you that are laughing so hard know exactly what I'm talking about. Last night this happens to me. I'm laying in bed and I look over at the clock and I see what time it is and I'm automatically able to calculate how much time I have until the alarm goes off. In other words how much sleep I will be achieving. And then I think about that that is not enough sleep for a Saturday night, and I stay up for 20 minutes thinking about how little sleep I'm going to get and where I could have cut out in my day something that I could have gotten to bed earlier. 20 minutes later, I look back at the clock, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have that much less time. Anybody like math geniuses at night when you look at the clock, but during the day you're like, I need a calculator? Yeah, something that's just weird trips on into your mind. And then you go down these little rabbit trails of thinking about different things. All the things that encompass our world because there's so much information always coming at us that our mind becomes divided into these parts and we become anxious thinking about all of these other things. And Paul says, don't. Okay, Paul. You know, sure. (laughs) 
Am I right? You do that. Okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. My insomnia friends are loving it right now. Yeah, there you go. Think about it. He says, if you're going to live this new phrenesis and, and be aware of the gifts of God and you're going to let this gentleness be evident to all, then these things are going to happen. You're going to be anxious. So what do you do about it? Paul just doesn't say, sorry, <laughs> life's tough. I'm in prison for my life. Get over it. No. He says this. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, don't be anxious. But in everything you do, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There are three words for prayer right there. Three words that he included in that second half of that verse for prayer. The first one is prayer, and it's eukomai. Let me get the spelling right. Eukomai. Like y'all would have known. Eukomai. That's the first one, prayer. It means, my seminary friends, I'm looking at you, Logan. This is where you can pull out your seminary degree right there and shake it off, dust it off. It means prayer. That was an easy one. Come on. Yukomai actually literally means prayer or it means vow or wish. The second one is desis. Desis. The third one is uh, edema. I forgot it. Edema. Okay, so he uses these three different words for prayer. Yukomai, desis, edema. The reason he does so, I believe, is, is this. Yukomai, prayer, this vow, this wish, is a formal prayer. It was used in like liturgy. It, it brings forward this connotation of this religiousness, of getting on your knees, of, of going to a sanctuary, to a service of that nature. This desis, desis is, um, uh, Rob Bell explains desis the best I think I've ever heard, is this. He says you're... You ever have that moment when you're driving in your car and you're crossing over this bridge and just when you come to the other side of the bridge, your heart stops because you see this car sitting at the edge right where you couldn't see it before you got to just this one certain position and you notice on that car a shield and a red and blue light on top and you look at your speedometer and see that you are going 20 miles over the speed limit and you say, oh God, please no. That's Jesus. I love that. I, I mean, you can't beat that. That's awesome. It is that kind of guttural, visceral prayer that just comes out. It's just one of those things that, God, please, no. God, you know, just, just comes. It, that, it's much less formal than this. And then edema is, is the request thing, and it is that. It's a list. It's, it's requests. It's going to God and saying, God, I pray that you would do this, and I pray that you would move in this person's life, and I pray that you would heal this person, and doing all those things. So why does he use three of them? He says do all of them with that Eucharist mindset, that thankfulness of the good gift of Christ. Because it doesn't matter how you come to God, I think. Just do it. I mean, I, I am a prime example of this. 
as one who untucks his shirt. I was in, the only reason I'm wearing khakis today is because I did a baptism at the 11 o'clock service in the sanctuary. And I had my shirt tucked in. So I guess I bowed a little bit to the constraints of the man. But as soon as I walked out, it pulled it out. What Paul is saying is when you're anxious, experiencing this anxiousness, this dividedness of your mind, go to God. Go to God. It doesn't matter how you go. If you're a formal person and you like to sit down and go through the liturgy and be on your knees and do all this, great, do it. If you're more along the lines of Jesus and you just like to yell out to God at random times and freak people out, good, talk to God that way. If you're a runner and you just get out on the streets and you start just emptying your mind and your soul and go through those prayer things at that time, wonderful. If you get together with people and start sharing your concerns and pray through them and do all those things, great, move to God through that avenue. However you do it, just do it. It doesn't matter, Paul says. Paul says if you are living your life for God with this new phronesis, the mindset of Christ, you're being aware of the gifts around you. You're trying to live your life contrary to the world and you become divided. Because you will. Go to God. Go to God. Pray to God. I did it last night because I was thinking about all of this. And as I kept looking at the clock, I finally said, hey, listen to what you're saying. And I started praying to God. And I went to sleep. And what does that say? God is boring? Or does it go along with what Paul says next? He says, pray to God and everything with a thankful heart. And at verse 7, he says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding and the peace of God, which Huber echo is the word for transcends Huber echo, which moves beyond, which comes over any understanding that you might have will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here is a man on death row writing to people who are surrounded by the Roman empire writing to a church, his beloved church in Philippi, who he loves so much and cares so deeply for, as you saw earlier, he talked about them as his crown. He's writing to these people and he's saying, do this and the peace of God will be with you. The peace of God that transcends, hooper echoes, all understanding will guard your heart. The word guard here that he uses is fulasso or fulasso and it is p-h-u lasso fulasso this is a military term it is a term that the people in philippi would have known as a military term there were the roman guards all throughout the empire who were there to keep the peace of rome who were there as these brutal military forces to enforce violently the peace of Rome. And what Paul is saying is, if you go through these prayers, if you access God, if you go to God, then this peace that isn't violent, this peace will come to you. And Christ Jesus and guards of your mind and your this military vision guarding your mind and heart 
I mean, Paul is, I just think sometimes it is so brilliant how Paul writes these words and uses these words that mean so many different things. It is quite clear to me that there was help involved. But think of the image that the people in Philippi would have had. A man, their pastor, the guy who came and brought the love of Christ to their land. The person who they supported throughout his entire ministry. They were the only ones who were with him the entire time. He's in jail. Awaiting trial for his life. And he says, let the peace, the peace of God surround you. I think what Paul was trying to tell them in all of this. Was to slow down. Slow down. Do not live the harried pace of the world. But slow down and experience the peace that transcends all understanding. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father. In a world that comes at us so fast and demands so much of our time and our attention, help us to slow down. Help us to remove ourselves from the way of the world and to find that pattern of Christ, that phronesis. Help us, God, to to experience the gifts of this world that you have placed before us. Even in the midst of our sorrows and struggles, Lord, there are moments of greatness and beauty that you have set before us. Lord, let us be aware of those. And God, let us live our lives in a way that stands out from the world because of its gentleness. Because we have the peace of God, we bring the peace of God with us. Help us, Father, to be strong when we are weak. To find the strength that Paul had. God, help us to slow down and to experience you like never before. Lord, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.